today we're going to be uh, in the second of two parables of Jesus. We're just taking up the time in between kind of the end of our Acts series until we pick that back up next summer. Uh, and then next Sunday, we're going to start the season of Advent. Uh, now, if you're newer here at our church and maybe you ha- or you haven't done uh, Advent with us yet, uh, I just want to invite you to really come over the next four weeks uh, prepared to engage uh, in all that Advent can mean for your family. We'll talk about what that all means next week. Um, we'll do a few extra things in our service. We'll probably, we, you know, we'll have the Advent candles. Uh, we'll probably do a few extra uh, things like creeds that we'll say together. Uh, we'll even have a take-home Advent guide. I want to encourage you to use as part of your family time uh, during the season of Advent. Uh, this is really one of the seasons of the year when we really push against so, sort of some of the cultural norms. Uh, the season of Advent is waiting. Uh, and, you know, even this time of year, the jokes we all make about who's putting up Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving, because we just can't wait, right? That's our culture. Uh, but at the same time as Christians, we live in a place where we're waiting. We're waiting for Jesus to come. And so Advent is just a time for us to take that into, uh, take that into mind. Uh, now, for this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. Uh, Luke chapter 14. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Luke 14. You can scroll there if you want to do that. Uh, We're just going to walk through verses 15 to 24. Um, If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be a blue hardback one in one of the seats around you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to take one home, there are some on the little uh, resources shelf out there. Feel free to take as many of those as you want. Uh, If you do take a bunch, hand them out to people. I would love that, right? Uh, So before we get to Luke 14, 15 to 24... Uh, let me just set the stage a little bit, set the scene a little bit, because actually this parable is kind of like part two of a dinner party that Jesus finds himself at. So Jesus is in the middle of a Sabbath dinner party uh, in this text, uh, and it's kind of gotten a little tense in this party. Maybe you've been at a party like this before, uh, but if you go back and you read the beginning of chapter 14, uh, you'll see that right from the get-go, religious leaders are watching Jesus as soon as he comes to the party. Uh, And so there's this tension already. They're kind of like waiting to catch him, right? And then Jesus heals a man of dropsy, which I had to look that up. That's edema in modern medical terminology, a pretty uh, terrible condition. And so Jesus heals this guy on the, right, on the Sabbath. It's a Sabbath party. And and he gives a somewhat sarcastic answer to the religious leaders about how basically you care more for animals than you do for people. Uh, he, you know, he's like, if you, if you had an ox that fell in a, in a hole, you wouldn't go get it out. And what, I can't care for this guy. Uh, and then just for the cherry on top, Jesus really criticizes both the guests of the party and the host. So he critiques the guests for seeking seats of honor at this party. And he critiques the host for inviting only people who can give him something in return. Uh, and so in this moment in Luke 14, it's like Jesus is an equal opportunity offender, right? He's offending everybody in the room. Uh, And so put yourself in this moment, right? It's awkward, right? Imagine it's dead silent as we get to verse 15. No one's continuing to eat, right? Maybe there's that one guy in the party who's got a big mouthful of food and he doesn't want to chew because it's kind of awkwardly quiet and he doesn't want to make noise, right? Maybe you've been that person at a party. It's becoming a train wreck of a party. That's what's going on here. So As there is at most parties, there's a bit of a loudmouth who breaks the silence in verse 15. I'm not saying if I've been this guy before, but maybe. Um, And that's where we start our portion of the story today. Luke 14, look at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, this seems kind of like a weird thing to say in the middle of a dinner party, right? It's kind of an odd 
ex, uh, you know, uh, exclamation to make, a proclamation to make. But what this is, is really an attempt by this man and really everybody around him who's going to agree with him uh, to, to say something to sort of escape the criticism of Jesus, right? He's trying to kind of break the tension of the moment and kind of escape the criticism that they all knew was right. This guy tries to say something kind of pious sounding to sort of, to sort of break it and, and get everyone sort of on his side and now we can move on, right? It's, it's this, this guy's statement is actually a verbal expression of, of what the religious leader's thoughts probably were, right? In essence, what he means is, blessed are people like us, who will eat in the kingdom of God. And then, you know, you can kind of infer he's sort of expecting the rest of the religious leaders to say, amen, you know, pass the ketchup, let's keep eating, right? It's, it's that sort of moment in, in a party. But Jesus doesn't let it slide. And listen, it's not because he likes to fight. Some of us need to hear that. Some of us who like to fight need to hear that. It's not because Jesus just likes to fight. It's because he cares for their souls, he sees the road to destruction that they're on, and he doesn't want to let it slide. He knows that in their inmost being, there's actually very little desire for God's kingdom, even with the, you know, the sort of religious declarations that are being made. So here he is at this Sabbath feast, religious leaders at the table, and he's going to deliver the parable of the great banquet. Now, I thought it was fitting that we do this a week before Thanksgiving, uh, when we're probably going to have some kind of banquet. Uh, most of us are not going to have this kind of great banquet, but he's going to deliver this parable of the great banquet to expose the true motivations and desires of people who think that they can get to God by religious activity, religious perfection. This story from Jesus, it's a warning to proud religious hearts. And since this is in our Bible, to use a phrase Jesus might use, if you have ears, listen, right? So let's just start by, I'm going to read the whole text and then we'll dig in piece by piece. Luke 14, I'm going to start in verse 16. So this is right after the, uh, this little proclamation is made, blessed is he who eats in the kingdom. And Jesus says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, oh, I bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. And this is one of the more scary verses in maybe the Bible and in this text for sure. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Okay, so here's the story Jesus tells here, right? We've got a rich man. We know he's rich because he's able to throw a banquet. He's extended an invitation to his friends to attend what he calls a great banquet. So we know he's, he's got a lot of wealth. Right? We need to understand that this is a feast no one wants to miss, right? When your rich friend invites you to a free great banquet, you say yes, 
right? You, yes, of course. No one wants to miss it. Now, remember, Jesus is telling this story in the context of answering that religious proclamation that was just made in verse 15. So this great banquet pictured here in Jesus' story is symbolically this ultimate kingdom banquet. He's teaching about the kingdom of heaven again. He's teaching them about this kingdom that they think they know about. And so using the symbol of a feast for heaven has a ton of spiritual significance because it suggests something more than just food. It suggests eternal satisfaction, right? A feast is, more, more, is about more than just the food, isn't it? Right? We all know this, right? Many of us are about to experience this coming up this week. Thanksgiving dinner is not just about the food. Praise God, it is about the food. But it's not just about the food. It's about the desire that we have deep down in our souls to be satisfied. And a feast is a place where we get a taste, pun intended, of that satisfaction. Your physical body is satisfied, but you're also satisfied at a feast relationally, socially, all these ways, right? One commentator put it this way, and I think I have this on the screen. The metaphor of feasting as distinct from merely eating a meal assures us that no true potential appetite, desire, or longing given to us by God will prove to have been a deception, but all will be granted their richest and most sublime fulfillment. The great banquet is a lavish, sumptuous image of the kingdom of heaven that will be exceeded by its reality, joyous satisfaction, and of course, the ultimate host will be Christ himself. Okay, so now one of the aspects of this story that I missed until I studied this a little bit more was the custom of invitation in Jesus' time. Uh, this, this goes all the way back to the, the book of Esther, uh, and it also is mentioned all the way through the 5th century in the Midrash, which is kind of the uh, Jewish law, if you will. And so this custom involves two invitations. So when a prominent banquet is getting ready to be given, invitations get sent out announcing the time of uh, the, the banquet, right? And guests can indicate their acceptance or not. This is pretty much what we're used to. Send out an invitation, you get a yes or a no. Uh, but then on the day of the feast, on the actual day of the feast, a servant is sent out to re-invite those who were already invited, who had already said yes. So the piece that we might miss in this story, if we're unaware of this tradition, is that to accept the first invitation, but then give an excuse as to why you can't come at that second invitation is an incredible insult to the host of the party. That's a piece of this that we might miss if we don't know that little piece of tradition. So now notice in Jesus' parable, those who had accepted the first invitation, right, unanimously, they all, oh yeah, definitely want to come to the banquet. They're now declining on this sort of the day of second invitation moment uh, with, with some pretty lame excuses if we break them down and look through them. Let's start in verse 18. But they all alike, so it's unanimous excuses. They all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Now, think about this excuse if you break it down and read it, right? How many of us would buy a piece of real estate sight unseen? Probably not many. That's not a normal thing to do. And so, first of all, right, the field is, will be there after the party. So that's kind of a lame excuse, right? The field's not going to get up and run away. And second of all, it's doubtful that this is actually true. This is just an excuse. The second excuse 
uh, even gets a little less courteous. Because the, the first one, there's sort of some, some social duty, right? Oh, I have to go see it. Verse 19, <clears throat> another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. Again, lame excuse, right? Who is making this kind of financial obligation? It's probably about 20,000 pounds worth of livestock. Who's making this kind of obligation without looking first, right? Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, um, that segment on, I forget what football, Rod, you probably know, but you know the come on man segment? Yeah, this is what I think of. Come on, man, really? Right? The third excuse is actually kind of rude in tone, if you, if you know the tone. Verse 20, another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. He doesn't even say, please excuse me. This person is, well, Jesus hearers would have known that this excuse is actually wrongly using a text probably from Deuteronomy, to be excused. That, that text that he's referring to, probably uh, it does exempt the newly married person from certain duties, but not from a party. Like, that's not what this is about. And so this is where we need to dig into the meaning of what Jesus is getting at with this story. Remember, Jesus is a brilliant teacher. There's something there. He's not just making up these facts to fill up time. There's something here, right? Now, the first two excuses have to do with what? Material possessions, they have to do with the, the things of this world, right? And this, the third has to do with earthly affections, relationships. And if you think about it, earthly possessions and, and earthly affections really cover with an umbrella every reason why somebody might say no to the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's pretty much all under possessions and earthly affections, right? Now, we have to understand that Jesus' parable here is not demeaning your possessions. He's not saying you can't have anything. That's not what he's doing. He's not demeaning your earthly affections. He's not doing that either. These are all legitimate, right? The Bible has tons to say about how to be wise and how we treat possessions and how to love and honor people around us, particularly our families. In fact, the Christian faith would argue that the more you live into the feast of Jesus and see those things as secondary, actually the better you'll be at living wisely with your possessions and loving the people around you. And so Jesus isn't diminishing those things at all. But what he's saying is if we actually prefer our possessions and our earthly affections to the point that they become excuses to turn down Jesus' kingdom feast, your thinking is actually upside down and your soul is in danger. That's what he's getting at. The real reason the three invitees in this story offer their lame excuses is what? They don't want to go. Like, I don't know if you've learned this by now in your life, but people do what they want to do, and they don't do what they don't want to do, right? It's true. People do the things they want to do, and Jesus is calling us out in this story on our lame excuses, and some of us, some of us don't, I don't like that. I don't like Jesus calling me out. I don't like it when I read the Bible and I go, Jesus, really, come on, you're going to like that? Right? The real reason people turn away from Jesus and this eternal feast is that they don't want to be there. That's what he's saying. It's simple. We would rather have the things of this life than to seek after Jesus and his coming feast and his kingdom. Now, here's where the story is going to get really real. Okay? See, the religious leaders in Jesus' day and in this story acted as if they wanted the kingdom... But actually, they don't. That's what he's telling this story to tell them. The hardest people to reach, and hear me, right? Church folks, hear me. The hardest people to reach 
are those of us who are so self-deceived that we say, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Like those of us who know the right religious answers to say and all the Bible verses to put, right? We are the hardest ones. Why? Because many times we actually have very little interest in coming to the feast. We just know how to say the right thing to make it look like we do. So what about us, right? What about you? Is that you? Do you say, oh yes, I want to go to the feast, but actually you don't. Let's keep going. Now, Luke doesn't tell us how the people at the party react to Jesus' parable. He doesn't give us like, and they stood up and threw their mashed potatoes at him, right? I think it's safe to say, I got Thanksgiving on the brain. I think it's safe to say uh, that many of them probably didn't like the story though. I wouldn't have liked it if I was sitting there. If I was one of them, I would not have liked it. But probably none of them are ready for the left turn Jesus is about to take. And listen, if you haven't read the gospel before, just be ready for left turns from Jesus. He's going to just, you think you're going this way, and he's just going to yank the wheel over here, and you're going to, what in the world? And this is what happens, verse 21 in the story. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. Yikes, right? And he said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Like, hear the frustration in the master there. Oh, my rich friends who I invited don't want to come to my party? Well, my party ain't going to be empty. Go invite some other people. And, and, and we might miss this, but in the Bible and in the New Testament, we see on more than one occasion this grouping of people poor, crippled, lame, right? So those with physical disabilities and conditions are lumped in together with a group of people called sinners. They were viewed as people who either they did something wrong or maybe their parents did something wrong and that's why they are in the condition they're in. In fact, just one chapter beyond where we are right now in Luke 15 begins the famous three parables that are one story with people coming around Jesus who are in this category of sinners, to hear him teaching. So when Jesus says in this story that these are the people who, we be, who will be brought into the feast, this is a big deal. This is the kind of thing that got Jesus murdered, to say this kind of thing. See, historically, from the time of the giving of the law, those who were physically blemished in some way or had some condition are actually barred from full participation in worship. On top of this, as it even is now, many people who have disabilities in this day especially are forced into poverty, right? They can't work. There's no welfare system here. And so they, they become outcasts. They become that person who's begging on the corner. But now this feast, this rich man's feast, with all of its gourmet food, with all of its beauty, all the stuff that goes into a fancy dinner, it's for them now. So again, really imagine the picture Jesus is painting here. He's an artist with his words. You've got the lame and the crippled. They're hobbling to tables. Their senses are overwhelmed with everything in front of them. Maybe they don't even know which fork to hold, right? You've been in that situation. You're at a fancy dinner. You're like, I don't even know what to do here. Why is there a spoon up there? Who knows? It's amazing. And listen, this is what the gospel does for you and me. If you know and love Jesus, understand you are the blind, poor beggar who is seated at the feast. And you didn't do anything to get there. You had no right to be there, but here you are. 
The only right response is to take it all in and feast, right? The parallel of the testimony of the beggar at the feast in Jesus' story and your testimony if you are a Christian is a perfect parallel. You didn't deserve to be in the feast of Jesus' kingdom, but there you are. So feast, right? We, we're saying, I have no idea how I even got here, but I, I was invited and here I am. I didn't do anything to earn my spot, but I'm at the table, so I'm going to eat. That's worship, Jesus isn't done yet, done yet, though. This story gets even kind of crazier. The great banquet still has some unfilled spaces. Verse 22, so the servant approached the master. Sir, the servant said, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Look at the missionary heart of God here. He wants his house filled. Now, if there's a part of this story that you and I should get most excited about, it's this part right here. Why? This is a prophetic reference to Gentiles coming into the kingdom. This is Gentiles being invited into the kingdom through faith in Jesus. This is us in this room, right? Getting our invite to the feast. And the phrase here, compel the people to come in, literally means force them to enter. Now, we hear that and we're like, wait a minute. God's forcing me to enter, but understand that this seems confusing, but the point of this is that outcasts, Gentiles, the poor, they, they would need some convincing in order to overcome their natural resistance to want to go into the party. The servant is not supposed to take no for an answer. Why? The feast has to be filled. Every seat has to be full. No one that God meant to come to the feast will be left out. This is some of us, right? Some of us, we don't think we deserve to be invited to the feast, so we resist. No, 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 I, 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 I don't deserve to be in there. No, 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 that's not my kind of people. Some of us in this room can feel this, right? I don't deserve to be invited. I don't want to be in that party with all those holy people. And Jesus is saying to you through this story this morning, oh, do you think that there's not going to be people, other people in there who don't deserve to be in there? Only people who I invite are allowed to be in my feast. And I'm inviting you. Come in. I want every seat full. And I have a seat with your name on it. Come on in and party and feast. See, the Bible is clear that this is what heaven is. This is what the kingdom of God is. It's a feast where those who don't deserve it are partying at the table of Jesus forever because his life and his death and his resurrection have made a way for you to be invited to the feast. Just come in. Don't worry about all that other stuff. Just come into the feast. Listen to this text from Revelation 19. This is a picture of the ultimate feast. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the great feast of the lamb. 
Blessed are those. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. This is what Jesus is getting at. There is an invitation to the feast, no matter what social class, socioeconomic background, race, gender, ideology you might hold to, you're invited. God is coming out to the hedges and he's inviting you. He's saying, come in. Don't give me no for an answer. Come into the feast. Trust in Jesus. And so after all of this in this story, imagine that deafening silence that would have followed Jesus' words in verse 24. Listen to verse 24. This is pointed right at these religious leaders in this text. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Scary. Just soak in how confrontational this is from Jesus. This is Jesus saying to these religious leaders what the Apostle Paul would echo in Philippians when he says that all of his religious accomplishments, listen, which far exceed any one of us in this room, Paul puts all of us to shame religiously. He says, oh, you want a religious resume? Let me give it to you. Go in Philippians and read it. And he says, all of that means nothing compared to knowing Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying to them in this story. See, they had received two invitations to the Messianic banquet. The first had come to God's people, the Jews, through the law and the prophets and the writings. And they said, yes, of course, of course, God, we want to be part of your kingdom. We want to come to the banquet. Just, just send us that second invitation and we'll be there. But like the man who said, blessed is he who eats the bread in the kingdom, it wasn't from their heart. And what Jesus is conf confronting them about is the reality that they love the world more than they love God. They love the world first. And now that Jesus, the Messiah, has shown up with a second invitation to the feast, what gets revealed is that they're actually not that interested in it. And so all their religious posturing is empty, right? Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. That's fake religious posturing, and God wants none of it. He doesn't want any of yours either. He wants your heart. Their true longing for the things of this world, it gets revealed. Listen, if you're hearing this and you're like, geez, Jesus is being pretty confrontational here. Yeah, he is. I don't like it that much either. And he is being that way because there's so much at stake here. Your heart, your soul, who you are at the deepest level is at stake here. Your eternal destination is at stake here. And, and he wants your heart because that is what will allow you to say yes to the invitation to the feast that he's preparing for you. Jesus wants you at the feast. If you're under the sound of my voice, he wants you at the feast. He does. So that's the question that I hope is going to frankly, haunt you this week, bother you this week as we go out from here. I'm praying, I, I prayed this morning that as you sit down for your Thanksgiving dinner this weekend or this Thursday with your family, that this question will just not stop bothering you. Do I want to be at Jesus' feast? Is that where I really want to be? Lord, reveal to me, do I want to be there? And if not, repent, trust in Jesus, turn back to him again. Do I really want to be there or are other things more important? See, because remember, it has cost Jesus everything to prepare this feast. Pain, tears, his very own flesh and blood and his life itself. And so now he invites us as the risen, resurrected king to come 
and feast at his table in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these stories that we can pull so much from, from your word that you were such a brilliant teacher that you left us these gems by which, we can, by, by which your word can read us and it can lean on us and reveal things about us that we wish weren't true, but that are. And so I just pray this week that as we go out from here, that that, that question would just rattle around in our heart and our mind. Do, do we want to be at your feast? And Father, I pray that the answer would be a sincere yes. Not a piously religious yes like we saw in the story, but a real yes. Father, would you help us to remember that we are those who have been invited after the fact. We are those who are the poor and the lame, those who had to be searched for and sought out and brought into the party. Would you break down our resistance to wanting to come into the party and would we come and just feast? and worship you and trust you with our lives. We pray all this for your glory and for our edification and our joy. In Jesus' name.